You are listening to the Center for Urban Research Teaching and Outreach's Curtal Conversations podcast. In each episode, campus and community experts will highlight collaborations that contribute to the advancement of the human community. Marquette University is located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the traditional lands of Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and Menominee peoples along the southwest shores of Michigami, North America's largest system of freshwater lakes where the Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinnik rivers meet, and the people of Wisconsin, Sovereign, Anishi, Nave, Honchang, Menominee, Anita, and Mohinka nations remain present. So welcome everyone to this edition of Curdo Conversations. My name is Gabriel Velez, and I'm an assistant professor in the College of Education at Marquette. And I'm also the faculty director of the Black and Latino Latina Ecosystem and Support Transition Hub. It's an initiative that is housed within Curdo, the Center for Urban Research, Teaching and Outreach. And it's our effort to support, to map, to understand the ecosystem of supports, resources, challenges, and opportunities that Black and Latino Latina students face in Milwaukee. I'm here today with a number of my colleagues and some special guests to discuss some of the work that we've been doing in this initiative over the past year, and then also to highlight right now what is the current situation generally for these students? What are they facing as we enter our um, really third year of the pandemic? We see a lot of reverberations from early in the pandemic lasting issues and then underlying questions of equity, inequality, and racist systems and structures here in the city. Uh, what we'll do is first I'll introduce the other folks here with me on the podcast. Then we'll give a little bit of an overview of what the Blessed Hub is, what the vision is, the space, its history and development. Then I'll pass it along to one of our colleagues from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee to talk a little bit generally about what is the state of this ecosystem right now in the summer of 2022. Then we're gonna highlight some of the activities and work that we've been doing over the past year. And then we'll end with wrapping up and talking about what are what's next in this space? Where do we see it going? And then what are some areas of need or places where there's action that can be taken, not just by us, but by community members, by government, and by all of us collaboratively together to really create change and uplift and help these Black and Latino, Latina students to thrive. Um, so with that, let me introduce everyone is here. So first, uh, we have with us the CEO of the African-American Leadership Alliance of Milwaukee, Walter Lanier. He has a long and rich history of involvement in Black and Latino, Latina youth and men of color as well, initiatives in the city, as well as various roles across the city. So thank you, Walter, for joining us. And if I left anything out that you want to highlight about the, all the work that you do, please don't feel shy to, to add it in. <laughs> no, good. Uh, hello, everybody. It's great to be here. Great to be part of this team and this continuing uh, work. Appreciative of all the folks with us and appreciative of uh, Curdo uh, housing and containing this great work. I should also note that Walter, along with the director of Curdo, Rob Smith, I always say are two of the real visionaries on this initiative and we're really spearheaded and make it made it happen. So we're thankful to have him here and he's gonna talk a little bit about kind of that vision and background of, of the Blessed Hub. 
We also have joining us Alberto Maldonado, who's the director of the Roberto Hernandez Center at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. He's been a wonderful support and a lead member of our community advisory group to this initiative. And we're really excited to have him here to talk a little bit more broadly about uh, this ecosystem and what's going on right now. He's also joining us without his morning coffee, which as I joked with him before, I, I can't see possible for me. So we're very thankful to have him here and, and very lucky. So uh, welcome, Alberto. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Gabriel. And thanks to everyone uh, who's here this morning early and, and ready to really engage in, in, in very meaningful conversation. This is work that I'm very passionate about. It has been for many years, and I hope to contribute this morning to to the dialogue and, and, and share a little bit of my perspective. So thank you for the invitation and happy to be part of this project. Great. And then we have with us as well two doctoral students who have done um, various work with the Blessed Hub this past year and, and before as well. They are doctoral students in our Educational Policy and Leadership Program in the College of Education at Marquette. And first we have Saul Lopez, who is a Milwaukee native, a Marquette undergrad alum, and has from the beginning been involved in this Blessed Hub work. Uh, so Saul, welcome and, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's really a, a big pleasure of mine to be working with you all. I know that it's been some time, but uh, yes, like Alberto was saying, this work is really nourishes the soul, and it's always a great pleasure to be talking about you know these issues and about the city. So a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Saul. And lastly, we have Max Hertin, who is also a doctoral student, as I mentioned, in educational policy and leadership, and he oversaw our youth consultant program last year for the Blessed Hub, and he's going to talk a little bit about that work that he did with some local area youth who we wanted to get involved in, in really consulting and advising on the work that we're doing. So thank you, Max, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good morning, everyone. I'm excited to get started with the second year of this project. Great. So with that, I want to start with sort of an overview of what the Blessed Hub is. I, I always joke when I talk about it, it's a mouthful to say it fully out, right? The Black and Latino, Latina Ecosystem Support Transition Hub. I think people then hear blessed and they love the name and they kind of gloss over about the actual words that that encompass it. Um, and when we talk about ecosystem, that can also get into the whole academic and you know sort of complicated realm where it's like, what's an ecosystem? What are we talking about? So with that, I want to start with Walter and, and really give him a chance to to talk about the vision behind this initiative, where it's coming from, and and what the purpose is and what it can add to the work that is being done and has been done in the Milwaukee area. So go ahead, Walter. Do you want to explain a little bit about some of that? Absolutely. And thank you. And also thank you for the short acronym, but the long articulation. I think the the Blessed Hub and its its name is attributable to you, Gabe. I think you you uh, pulled that together. So uh, let me start backwards, actually, and start with uh, the words you talked about, ecosystem, because I think it it captures what we were trying to accomplish and what we've been talking about for years. Dr. Robert Smith, who's the director of CURDO, and I for years have been talking about the Milwaukee educational system, and in particular, how black and brown students successfully or not navigate the system. And when you think about, uh, when I think about education in Milwaukee, uh, especially from high school to college, three to four bigs. Of course, MPS is the largest body of students. And then MATC, where I was for 13 years, is the largest body of adult students. And then, of course, UWM and Marquette University. And there's a flow of students that come out of MPS that go to MATC or UWM and then transfer back and forth or Marquette 
back and forth through the system, but not always well, because it's not a system collectively, the ecosystem that's well navigated. And Rob and I used to talk about that years ago, long before Bless, maybe a decade ago, maybe 15 years ago, talking about what if this system was more visible, was more transparent, that people had a better understanding, uh, Black and brown students in particular, of what was available to them and how to traverse the system, how to go from one school to the other, where's the best place to enter, et cetera. So we've been having that conversation for years. Those of us who know Milwaukee, which is certainly everybody on this podcast, know that our data relative to black and brown students, uh, regrettably is some of the worst in the nation, reading scores, math scores, uh, matriculation, graduation, et cetera. And so we had always said, it'd be great to be able to just improve on that system, make it better for students to know how to enter, where to best go, where the resources are, etc. So in, ooh, what year was it? Was it 2020 or 2019? We put in a proposal to the city of Milwaukee's a Black Male Achievement Advisory Council for some resources. And the idea was the dual enrollment and transfer hub concept where we would look at students at transition points, in particular in high school, with opportunities for dual enrollment, meaning they could be in high school and taking college classes, or that moment when they were transitioning from high school to, say, college, or high school to job. Uh, and then the next transition point is if you're at college, most frequently MATC, that's where the largest number of graduates go, and then they're transitioning to another school, say Marquette, or UWM, or transitioning out to a job. And we said, what if we bring resources to those moments in time, those transition moments, uh, to strengthen those moments for, for Black and Brown students? Our focus at that time was on, on males. And that is kind of how the hub emerged. One of the things we began doing first is, and we'll talk about this later, is what are all the resources that are available in the city? Uh, for black and brown students, black and brown men and boys, because there are a lot of resources available, a lot of programs, but there was no central place to really know what's going on. So sometimes you saw duplication. Other times you saw programs that would have fits and starts, but most importantly, it was not very transparent or visible what the resources were to students or parents or community. And so that concept of having a, a place that could house and hold the relevant information uh, is where that emerged. And we thought the Center for Urban Research, Teaching and Outreach would be perfect for that. And so that's what we began. Of course, we hit the pandemic and we had some shifts, but it's been a, a great project, a great process, and it is going to bear fruit in the city uh, for a lot of students and families. Thank you for that, Walter. I think, you know, as, as someone who is not originally from the city, this perspective and, and this framework, I think, is really important to keep in mind. Often when we talk about Milwaukee, we hear, I'd say more when we hear about Milwaukee, right? It's, it's in these kind of like larger level statistics, right? Things about segregation, things about even more recently violence, let's say. But it, it hides kind of this complexity between the local level and what's going on for individual young people, individual or sort of communities, the organizations. And then this broader ecosystem, the connections and partnerships across them. And that's a complicated thing to really map out, to talk about, to think about. And that's one of our challenges is really how do we do that? How do we approach that? How do we think of what that means in terms of data? 
How do we think about what that means in terms of the work organizations are doing? And also most importantly, what that means for the actual lives of these individuals and their families, right? Because ultimately when we're talking about all this, we're talking about people. And I think it's always really important to keep in mind and sometimes gets glossed over when you see X percentage of Latino, Latina students graduate college versus X percentage of white. We kind of turn into a number a little bit. Um, and so our work is hopefully trying to, to flesh out and support some of all that and, and create and build better understandings in that, that middle space. And so with that in mind, you know, this work is, that's kind of the overall structure and vision. And now we're going to get into the, the kind of the nitty gritty, the meat of it. And I'm going to invite Alberto to talk a little bit about what sort of challenges and opportunities he sees right now in, in the current context we're in the summer of 22 in this moment. And then I'll also invite after he sort of gives a little bit of, of his thoughts, the rest of our panelists, our speakers today who have joined us, if they want to comment or have anything else to kind of add into that. So Alberto, I'm going to hand it off to you, give us some wisdom and, sure. and then we'll have a little bit of conversation <laughs> after. Of course. Yeah. And, you know, I, I want to preface my comments with where I come from. It's, it's, it's from a lens of higher education and, and, and really access to the services and the educational opportunities, right? That has been my work for the last 24 years is working in pre-college settings and, and working in the community to, to really take a pulse of, of where our, our, our students are, uh, particularly students of color. And so there are four areas are very important. And when we talk about, you know, where we are today and where we, where we have been and, and particularly in the work that I've done and, and, and it has to start with family. And then it's followed by uh, by community, followed by uh, you know access to higher education, and then and then just culture, right? So uh, I and I mentioned family because when we talk about opportunities and challenges, I, I see the need for for families to to have access to continue to have challenges in having access to information and the information gaps that that exist among our parents, particularly uh, our Latino families, it's, it's a big, big issue that, that they still feel like they are not uh, fully, fully versed in, 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 many, in many areas when it comes to the educational attainment and, and particularly as, as a young community trying to support students that are going to college or entering different uh, circles in, within the educational structure for the first time, right? So, Family plays a very key role in that, and so, and, and not just the Latino families. I think because of, of the conditions of, of our communities and, and access to resources, family are still navigating, you know, uh, a lot of a lot of processes, you know, within the, this idea of information poverty, right? That they don't have a lot of the information that is needed for their sons or daughters to be successful in the process. So. The opportunities I see on the flip side of that, so that's the challenge. The opportunities that many of of you know of our communities are 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 taking a more important stance on, and educational systems, higher education as well, and really looking at opportunities because they see that the future of of higher education and 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 many of our our school systems lies on 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 students of color. I, we, these are the populations that are growing significantly, particularly here in Milwaukee and in our different communities. So there's no option but to really react to to that growth and to the need that that does exist. Uh, I think about institutions that are now 
I think there's about nine or 10 that have declared their intentions to become Hispanic serving institutions. The DEI lens that, you know, has sort of magnified and not only corporate America, but also in institutions of higher education as well. And really taking a closer look at what, what are the, the gaps, you know, uh, both academically and, and also in gaps in, in the access for, for students of color, particularly, you know, Black and Latino students. You know, what are we doing as institutions to, to really be welcoming places for, for these communities? How are we working, particularly with families, and, and, and really trying to bridge those information gaps that still exist? Believe it or not, 2022, we're still dealing with, you know, a lot of resource issues, a lot of issues having to do with having the, the right staff at, at our institution and our schools, teaching our students. And then the last thing I, I would I would add is you know particularly when we talk about boys and boys of color, and you know in, in a post COVID era, what I've been able to take a pulse on is is you know our boys having to to really pivot in so many ways, having to take the role of uh, head of family or, or really helping in, in, in a lot of the economical, you know, shortfalls that many families have had, or the lack of, of opportunities even in that process of, of trying to, to pivot and, and having to, to really leave school to, to have to work, uh, or uh, the issues that they have with affordability as they try to stay in school or complete college. We've seen many, many of our boys having to, you know, take a either a leap semester or or leave school to be able to to contribute and, and to also, you know, help their families or help themselves in that process. So there's 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 a lot to unpack when it comes to uh, to boys of color and, and and what's happening in the community. But those are those are things that come to mind for me. Family, community, access to higher education, and the opportunities is that Folks are paying attention a little bit more closely to, to the needs. Opportunities are, are sort of emerging when it comes to what institutions are able to do and, and, and resources that have been put in place to make sure that students are not just entering college, but that they're staying and that they're graduating successfully. But there's, there's definitely lots of work to, to be done uh, in, the, in that particular area. Thanks, Alberto. And, you know, I, I'm really glad you you focused that in the end, too, about talking about boys and men of color, not just to, to draw a lens to them, because there are particular needs that we're seeing, but also just the, the intersectionality aspect of it. Um, and doing this work, and when we talk about the Blessed Hub, I often think about the ways we gloss over sometimes the, the other factors that come into play for these young people that also affect the ways they're navigating through this ecosystem, right? And that can be things like religion, that can be your origin. So, you know, to be looped into Latino, Latina is is one thing. If you're a, a young person in Milwaukee of Mexican descent, let's say your second generation, versus if your heritage is Colombian and you're a recent immigrant, things like that. Gender comes into play as well. Even religion can, although we don't, we talk about it less. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind too. We're talking about this in these kind of broad terms, but again, speaking to that individuality as well, you know, we need to be considering those other factors. The other thing I want to highlight is when you're talking about those families and communities, 
uh, I think, you know, thinking about that post-COVID context, there is so much evidence that, that Black and Brown communities were hit harder and in different ways. And so, you know, when, when it's already a, an aspect of these young people's life that the family and community is so integrally woven into their development and into their success, then when you have that added factor of COVID really impacting those in deep ways, that's going to play out into these, into these spaces and into how they're able to navigate and how they're able to be successful. Does anyone else want to have any sort of response or any thoughts based on what Alberto was talking about? I don't know if Alberto mentioned it directly. I know that I, I failed to mention it. The, you know, the obvious, uh, I shouldn't say obvious, if it was obvious, maybe we would have mentioned it, but uh, the context of segregation in Milwaukee being such a, a highly segregated city for many years and probably, you know, a decade or more. And that has a, a wide range of implications. It has implications for access to resources. It has implications for access to information. It has implications for how people come together to gather to share information and certainly has implications for, for the system. We're already dealing with bureaucracies that are challenging and in a segregated city, how one navigates, whether you're a student, a parent, community member, navigates bureaucracies is really challenging. And so, you know, it's easy. That's important to remember that context. We almost take it, I think, as just a standard truth, regrettably, that we skipped right over it. But that is the context, is that we're in a place that is siloed and segregated. And so I just wanted to add that piece on. Yeah, and I, I I would add to that, you know, the last the last 24, I would say 36 months almost uh, now, the different things are, that are our, our communities faced, not just COVID, but a political climate that really exacerbated a, a lot of a lot of things. The, the killing of, of George Floyd, there was just a very a very complex environment that really. And in many instances, left behind a lot of a lot of our communities, and, and, and they were not they were not uh, taken into consideration. Uh, so, and like like Walter said, you know, the communities that that were most impacted were uh, black and brown communities. And so, uh, there's a lot again to unpack there. But you know, there there was a lot of trauma that that our communities were facing, not just from in the context of health. But also mental, mental health, and, and and economic, you know, impact. So, yeah, I'm really glad, Alberto, you brought up mental health. You know, as someone who is a developmental psychologist, and I speak to myself, but I've mostly focused in kind of the research area. I'm becoming more and more aware, and particularly in my work through the Blessed Hub this past year, not only about the mental health needs, but the the growing awareness, discussion, recognition of that. And Alberto, you mentioned this a little bit before as one of the areas of opportunity. And I think there's a incredible area of opportunity here where, you know, we, we hear it in the news, we see it everywhere. Yes, there are increased rates of mental health issues for, for young people and mental health concerns. And that's true, I think, across the board. That's cross-cutting across a lot of demographics. Then we add to that the element of knowing that Black and Brown communities historically have had higher stigma, have had less access to resources. Some of those things are also tied into structural racism, right? So the stigma is not just about the stigma, but it's also been about how those communities have been treated by the mental health profession and field um, and science generally. But right now, I think we're seeing a real area of opportunity where I hear from young people, we see young people taking initiative and leading on advocating for mental health resources, on using that language to talk about what they're going through. And I think 
we need to respond when we're talking about resources and partnerships for creating networks of support. You know, for anyone in this country, no matter the resources you have, sometimes connecting to a therapist, to a mental health resource is hard. We don't have a centralized way to do that. And for young people, sometimes it's even less so. And I think we need to think about how we can create real synergies to, to provide them those supports that they're asking and, and, and need. And, you know, I, I know that Walter is going to have something to say on this because he is deeply engaged as well in, in mental health work in the city. So if you'd love to comment on that too, that would be great. Wow. Thanks, Gabe. Yeah, I've done a lot of stuff around mental health. We have a mental health project that we started in the church that I pastor in 2012. It's been going on for a decade. It's a great intersectional, diverse table. First Tuesday of every month, we talk issues, raise awareness, decrease stigma, share resources. So we've created a table to really break down the silos. Last several months that we've had it, it's been a virtual, but we've had about 25, between 20 and 30 people. And so I'll go back to my previous comment about segregation and bureaucracy and, and stigma, because we're, we're already talking about access to resources that are needed when we talk about education and how challenging it is to effectively access those, even more so when you're talking about mental health resources, because it's a further fragmented bureaucracy and the stigma attached to pursuing them. And that's cross-cultural. I think it's exacerbated in communities of color, but but the stigma is, is cross-cultural. And so there's a similar challenge. In, in fact, we're doing a little bit of stuff with, with Curto now or hoping to in terms of mapping mental health resources because it's the same dynamic. What I'm bringing to the table is, is a dynamic of being an individual who's an advocate, but also my legal background. So I'm always looking at systems and how to make systems more effective and, and transparent. And, and the mental health set of resources is challenging. And then when you add the other layer of youth, now you have a whole nother layer because youth are not often centered in our work and they also have guardians. And so it's challenging if the systems are not working well, if the systems are not properly resourcing, if they're not attentive to the real data and real issues to touch and provide resources in a systemic way. And so you kind of end up, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not necessarily, you end up kind of on your own navigating the system rather than the systems opening doors and, and showing you where the resources are. It is, uh, there's good work going on in Milwaukee, but that's also another fragmented system. There's good talent going on in Milwaukee, but it's still very, very, very fragmented. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And this talking about systems is a nice segue into kind of highlighting some of what we've been doing in the past year partly because our main project that we do at the Blessed Hub involves mapping. And, and as Walter mentioned, it's kind of spun off in, into some other areas as well. So I really want to give us a chance to highlight that. So we'll start with, um, so well, can you talk a little bit about, you know, what we're doing with this ecosystem mapping project and, and some of the work we've particularly done this past year? Thank you, Dr. Velas. Yes, of course. I think it's been a really productive year so far. I think that the map, the mapping experience has been really amazing to see and to see the uh, Milwaukee Black and Latino Latino youth ecosystem of kind of out in the community has been really beautiful to see that the conversations that we've been having and just to kind of bring it back to kind of like the origins of it and how it kind of started it started out of these conversations that these issues that Walter and Alberto and Dr. Velez you've been kind of mentioning how do we offer youth these services and I think that the first initial six months back in, in 2020 was gathering the data we had uh, compiled from another group of graduate students and answering the question, how can we visually represent the actors 
and partners and organizations that are kind of working within the city. And from that, we, we created the map using the Kumu software that we have hosted on the Plus Hub website. And the biggest driver was how do we get this out to the community? How do we show the community that these are the resources that Black and Latino students can access and that are you know, readily available wherever they may live? So the first six months was building the map and it was in early 2021 when we started sharing out the map and having conversations with uh, organizations and nonprofit leaders to kind of one, show the map and two, to have a conversation about what resources and what partnerships an organization had. And that was really conducive to a lot of growth when it came to the map because it helped us look at the map differently and take whatever we gather from that conversation and apply it back to our own takeaways and our own process of the mapping system. So I think that the past year has been a lot of tweaking and readjusting and really having an organic map that changes with every conversation we have. And I think that's really wonderful. And it kind of shows that, you know, these issues don't have a one, just a one answer, right? That these issues are meant to be discussed and they're meant to be fully fleshed and developed. So I think that the, the biggest thing right now has been the sharing of the map with other entities and other agencies and even highlighting how we at the Bless Hub have been struggling and readjusting and working with this map because it's been great to kind of have different inputs and have different perspectives on it. Because like I was saying, it really helps us go back and look at the map from a different perspective. So I think that uh, the biggest driver has been the conversations, these community conversations that we've been having with these nonprofits. And then from there, it's also been really gratifying to be able to share the process itself with other nonprofits. I know that I've been really blessed to conduct workshops with other offices within Marquette, other universities like the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. We've been able to present the map to the Institute for Systems Change and Peacebuilding. So uh, that experience was really good because we were able to talk with other graduate students and discuss the map and even discuss their own maps that they were creating for a class. So it just kind of goes to show the community aspect of the map and the mapping process that this isn't just a here we have the one map to you know rule them all and stuff like that. But it's more like our map reflects our process and reflects the questions we're having. How can my map help your map, right? So it's this beautiful process of conversations and, and really building off that. And from that, I think that this past year, we've seen some key takeaways and, and some key questions that I think we're trying to answer in, in our future work. And, and I think that Walter, you, you, put it, you put it beautifully. I think that we assume or we have this, we forget about segregation. And I think we just kind of forget about it. And, I, and we started seeing it in the map where a lot of the resources were really concentrated in the near west side, near Marquette. And I think that one, our, our location to these resources was a key factor. And then two, just the positionalities that our team was bringing at the time really reflected that orientation towards resources in the near west side. So thanks to, thanks to these conversations, we were able to see what about in the south side? what other organizations resources are, are available in the south side and i think that this summer it's been really great to take a deeper dive i know that i've had a conversation with alberto earlier in the summer about who do i talk to who can i talk to that is doing great work in the south side for those who don't know 
and, and are not super familiar with the Milwaukee context, the South side is predominantly Tino Latinx heavy. So it was really important to identify two, three key partners. And what we found was that religious organizations and community centers were, were big hubs for resources, which was a big takeaway we, we had from this summer. But in order to get here, we needed to ask the questions, we needed to have conversations, and we needed to, you know, be open to adjustments and to have that mapping process be iterative and organic. The future directions with the map, I think, are endless. I think that there's a lot of ways we can really integrate the map within the community, within other conversations. So I think it's a matter of one, asking these same questions, and then two, possibly answering, again, the same questions you've been asking from a different angle. So I think it's, it's a really nice thing to have this map as an anchor to really help us build more work in the future. I know this might sound a little bit ambiguous, but the map, that's the thing about the map. There's so many possibilities with it. And I think that once you see it and you get to work with it, you start to see that there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of resources here already. It's just a matter of really getting that question right or getting that perspective that you want to use with the map. So can I ask you to, to quickly give a very shortly just kind of a summary of what the map is and what it shows? Yes. So the ecosystem map, if I was to describe it using words, it looks like space where it's like a lot of dots, let's say stars, right? Covering the night. So Milwaukee is the night, let's say. And these little dots of light are the resources that are available to our youth that offer support, whether it's tutoring, academic, business development, whether it's an array of, of resources varying from academic to now to business, everything in between, right? Schools, shelters, community centers, pre-college programs, so many that I can't really describe all of them, but it's an array of resources that are available within the city. And if you were to click on one of the, let's say stars, one of the dots, you would have a pop-up with the mission, with the vision, with the foundation date, with the general information blurb about this resource. So in essence, if you're a student from South Division High School, you would be able to see your school because it's a nonprofit. And if you click it, you will be able to see the different partners that your school has across the city. So maybe you get to see the Roberto Hernandez Center, where Alberto works. Maybe you get to see Market University. You get to see DOP. You get to see these different, different agencies that are either working together or have a strong partnership with the institution. So it's a beautiful thing. Thanks, Saul. And, you know, so that has been a project that's really been our core effort. And around that, we've been developing some work, particularly in the past year. We've engaged in trying to explore a little bit more about dual enrollment in the greater Milwaukee area, working with UWM, with some folks in the Higher Educational uh, Research Alliance as well, HERA, trying to get a sense of what does dual enrollment look like across the region? What are some issues in equity going on? We've also been exploring um, some avenues into restorative justice and trying to support that work through one of our wonderful faculty members, uh, Dr. Troy Washington. And then lastly, another effort, as we recognize all that we're doing, we started in a time during the pandemic when it was hard to directly engage with young people. But when you're doing this work, it's really critical to have their voice and their perspective. And part of that has been through some research efforts that have really been an effort to 
uplift and understand the voices and perspectives of students in this ecosystem. And then another has been inviting some of them, some of these youth into our CURDO offices, into our CURDO programming, and to ask them to tell us about their experience and to advise us on what we're doing. So I'm gonna pass it over to Max really quick to talk a little bit about what that youth consultant program has been like and where he sees it going. Absolutely, thank you, Dr. Velez. So I've served as the youth consultant lead for Blessed Hub since the beginning of last semester being January of 2022. And I'm really excited to see what this year is going to look like for the program. It was great to see this initiative in its inaugural year. And I think we have some really good room to grow and evolve this year as well. So our biggest goals in Blessed Hub, uh, it's sort of a, a trifold goal. It's understand where current high school students are at, socially, academically, personally, provide them with academic and personal support in the present, and then essentially plan and think about future projects, future supports that we as Marquette University can deliver to them. And I think it's important to look at all of those different elements of the program, both together and separately. Obviously, first of all, coming off of the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, young people are still going through a really turbulent time. They might not be having the same social supports that they might usually have. They might not be having the same educational experience. And so getting to talk to students one-on-one -on -one and in small group settings, which was the, the primary mode of communication with them through this program, it's really interesting to see what was going well, what wasn't going well, and just sort of the different ways that their schools had either evolved or essentially returned back to some semblance of normal. So that's the first goal. Secondly, obviously, as Marquette University, we have some really good resources that we can provide. So some of the work that we do is working, we have some undergraduate students who work with uh, the high schoolers in Blessed Hub, providing academic tutoring, providing you know college advice, college support. One big thing that we saw is that students have found the college application process very confusing. And I think I can speak for all of us, especially me and Saul, even just thinking back to when we were applying for college, the process certainly hasn't gotten any easier. It's a very, very complicated process, very tech heavy right now, especially. And so I think that one of the biggest things that we can provide is support for those college applications, especially with the Common App. And so that was, that was one of the biggest things that we did. Another thing that we saw is that students are really interested in leadership opportunities and in just learning more about the city of Milwaukee and learning more about the, the social context of the city of Milwaukee. So another thing that we did is we had a meeting that revolved around some resources that we compiled, finding research opportunities, ba baseline level research, obviously, since they're, they're high schoolers, um, but, but still kind of some opportunities for them. Um, volunteer opportunities in the city. There's some great community gardens. There's Urban Ecology Center. That was a big one that we recommended. And then recommending leadership opportunities that even if they can't join them right now, if they're only a freshman or a sophomore, that they can look at down the line and potentially be a part of. Another thing that we did is provide resources um, on systemic racism, both in the city of Milwaukee and in other domains, specifically with psychology. We saw some great interest from students on the psychology of racism and how that can affect both an individual and a society. So that was really, really interesting seeing that multiple students were at least interested in engaging in, in, in those questions. So that was another thing that we provided was several research articles, a couple websites, things like that. And then just looking forward to the future, thinking about us, obviously, at Curdo as a part of Marquette University, it's really helpful to us, I think, as a university to understand where students are at, because 
that can better inform the supports that we're giving in the future. And so given that this is year two of the project, I think we've got a really good baseline. And then going back to what Saul was touching on, I think that a, a big part of what we can deliver is is this this ecosystem that we've that we've compiled these resources because again something that we saw was that students said it was just hard to find things you have to navigate all these things especially in this virtual world i think having something that's really a concrete example of all these resources compiled together could be really really helpful for students thank you max and i saw you know a lot of connections from what we've been talking about before i mean for one when alberto's talking about the financial component you know part of that college search process and i know this came up in the youth consultant program isn't just about applying, but it's about finding money and scholarships, right? And sometimes we have really good setups to help students think about the application part, or there's more resources out there, but then to find ways to help pay for it, we don't. Um, and the other part is, you know, I appreciate what you're saying at the end, because I think in our work, we are trying to approach this in, in a very humble way and in, in balancing what it means to be a Marquette with the resources and privilege and in a space that's predominantly and historically white and its relation to the, the city over time, but also be humble and want these voices and these needs to come from folks. So not, you know, in essence, not driving what we're trying to do in, in these projects, but letting what we're hearing and the young people and the organizations themselves drive where we're going with this. And a lot of what we've done has come out of that as well. So thanks, Max, for highlighting that and sharing that. And as we kind of end this, this conversation, you know, I want us to be thinking about this, this forward-looking space. And so you know, we're going to link with this podcast our report that tells you what we've done in the last year. We have a little bit there about what we're trying to do moving forward. But I want to kind of expand that out. And so you know, I'll start with Alberto and then to Walter. We're thinking about what are some, some areas of need, you know, that kind of constant question of like, what's next? And it's a powerful question. And it comes up, I think, always in these kind of conversations, because it is hopeful in some ways, right? When we talk about the past, when we catalog, we need to do that to understand where we're at, to understand the questions and issues we face, to understand what hasn't gone well. But when we talk about the future, there's a lot of opportunity, right? There's opportunity to push for things, to take action, to even adjust and adapt strategies we've already begun and efforts we're all involved in. So with that in mind, I'll ask Alberto to sort of share what he sees as some critical areas of need or, or sort of forward steps. Sure. And then to Walter as well. And they're both doing this work, I should say, too. So this isn't just <laughs> sitting here. You know, I as an academic, you know, in the space I'm in, sometimes I say, oh, yeah, you know, I know what's next and throw it out there. But they're also involved in this work. And so I really appreciate them sharing this perspective with us. Sure. No, thank you again, Dr. Velez. There's a, there's a few a few areas that I, I think are, are, are necessary and are a must must do right and it's i think collaborations uh and i think uh curdo and the work that we're doing collaboratively it's it's necessary but i think there's definitely room for for growth and i think there's uh, as as saul was mentioning the the ecosystem of, of resources uh, here in the city many many instances a lot of these resources are working in isolation from each other right and so I think if we if we can find ways and, and avenues for us to work, you know, hand in hand, I think we can we can have greater impact. So sort of that village approach needs to be at the forefront of the work that we're doing. Number two, intentionality, right? We have to continue to be very intentional about our work. 
representation, you know, who is serving these students uh, from K through 16, you know, representation matters, right? I know that's a, that's a, a catchy phrase, you know, institutions that are, are putting resources uh, at the forefront, you know, promise programs like MATC, uh, just recently the UW system announced a promise program, being very intentional in, in identifying areas that are necessary to happen when it comes to affordability, it comes to access to to higher education, access to just the resources, right? These are programs that are, are are being done with a lot of intention to really mitigate a lot of the shortfalls that we've seen for many years. And and then last, what I would say is early interventions, right? Sometimes we we think about things. Uh, a, a bit too late, right? You know, working with high school students is beautiful. Working with, with college students is, is amazing. And, and there's a lot of work to be done. And there's a lot of great work happening, right? But we often fail to recognize how early in the process we need to start planting these seeds. And I mentioned earlier, working with families, families who have a lot of information needs. Uh, there's an information poverty, right? In our communities, and, you know, uh, Walter mentioned, you know, segregation, you know, access to resources and things like that. I think we have to take in mind the whole spectrum, right? And, and really begin to, uh, to plant those seeds early, uh, working through our, you know, uh, one area that I, I, I failed to mention earlier, it's, it's our, our, our faith-based uh, community, which, you know, many of our communities of color are well connected to and, and rely on heavily, you know, in their communities uh, with their churches and, and their communities and whatnot. How can we plug ourselves into that ecosystem where families are already feeling comfortable with and rely on heavily, right? And begin to work with the whole family and not just, you know, at the, at the later part of, of the life of a student. So those are a few things that, that come to mind as opportunities and next steps. So that intentionality, that collaboration, that early, early intervention, and, and really working with communities that we were yet haven't, haven't uh, connected with. I think you raised some great points there, Alberto. Like, you know, it's, it has become in some ways cliche, but this representation and this resources matter. And I think about how that plays out differentially across kind of that K through 16, like you're saying, because in K through 12 right now, that means we need to be getting more resources to schools, but we also need to be thinking about creating pipelines and supporting young people from these communities becoming educators. That's a constant question that we have, for instance, at Marquette, and then, and particularly in the College of Education. And then when we get to the higher education space, we need to be thinking about numbers, but the environment as well, how that how we promote that through resources and some of that you know is both easy and hard but um, on the easy level the resources can really help the numbers and the representation um, you know one thing I'm thinking about at Marquette was our couple of years ago when we upped our urban scholars by 40 and that changed drastically some of the dynamics on campus and that required a lot of resources but that wasn't the end of it right we have to be con consistently thinking about the climate about the supports we have for those students and so this question of resources and representation is, is really central. Yeah, and, and if I may add, you know, I put a lot of emphasis on intentionality, right? Um, and and what I mean by that is, for instance, just yesterday, I hosted here at the center a Spanish language orientation for parents. And it was a standing room only. 
I think if you create the conditions for our families to to enter into our spaces, they will come, right? But it's in the absence of creating those those opportunities and, and those and, and those and those in very intentional programs that that really leaves out the opportunity for us to engage and to really provide that access that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Walter, how about you? What do you think of some areas of action, some next steps that are needed? I've been over here writing feverishly, lots of stuff. I'll start this way. There's an old Testament narrative about a brother named Nehemiah and Nehemiah went into his, uh, hometown and he found that the walls of the city were crumbling and he was devastated to tears. And then he prayed and said that I got to get into action. I have to go do something and make, make a change. Uh, and he prayed for resources and got resources. Uh, but before he got into action, he went and surveyed the city. So he quietly went around, looked at the walls, looked at things that were broken down, looked for the gaps, looked for the weaknesses, etc. And then he began to build. And in a sense, this ecosystem mapping that we've done is kind of, it is not kind of, it is a lot like that. It is surveying the city to say, really, what's going on? What are the resources? What are the gaps? Where are the bricks we can build on? Where are the places that we need to shore up? And too often in our, our city, that doesn't happen with, with depth. Uh, it's done, it's done in a light way. It's done in an incomplete way, in part because of the segregation segregation across race, across class in particular. And so so the so the 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 initial scan, environmental scan is not done. So solutions are often incomplete. So I think that seeing this process now that we have done this uh, and continue to do it now, we can utilize as tools to to see the bigger picture and the bigger system. So I use that metaphor one, two, a couple of years ago, 2019, uh, Micah, uh, Milwaukee Inner City Congregations Allied for Hope began a journey and others, not just Micah, there's another organization called LIT, uh, probably the Black educators as well, began a real hard push at uh, MPS to improve some of the things we were talking about. And they use a framework called Doing Our Part, P-A-R-T. And that, uh, that framework was about pushing best practices, accountability for systems, uh, resources, and transparency. And I think that is uh, something that we can also do with the ecosystem map is, is now begin to raise and lift up and educate about best practices, pursue accountability, meaning our organizations, institutions, achieving the goals that they set out for. Uh, resources is key in segregated, siloed cities and organizations. It is, it's almost a cliche or a stereotype that efforts around equity diversity, whatever they used to be called previously, affirmative action, equality, you can go back decades where were stereotypically under-resourced. And so the, the commitment of resources were not commiserate in any way with the scope of the challenge or the problem. You can't deal with systemic challenges with a small program. And so, so I think we have the capacity to do that. And then the transparency part is really about us surfacing. That's an education function because very few people see the, the broad system. And we have an opportunity to educate those who, who are interested uh, about what's available. Last couple bullet points I had is really 
being attentive to the process, the process we've gone through, that it's an iterative process. Second, uh, we can see gaps and talk about filling gaps. Third, this process that we've gone through, if and as we're effective, it can help us grow a network of people because more often than not, the people that we engage with, most people are desiring for the best for our educational system. And this can be part of that silo breaking. And then uh, last but not least is there's some, some power in this process as well because we have excellent information in a committed body of people. And that's one of the things that we need more of in the city. There's a ton of talent here ton of passionate people, but because of that segregated siloedness, that talent, those ideas, uh, those people don't come together often enough to bring the creative, innovative, grounded experience solutions that are there often on the ground. The ground of the community far too often is not in communication with the air, the policymakers, et cetera. And so I think we uh, have the capacity, the blessed hub to, to fulfill to fill a big, massive gap and to bring some of that energy, resources, dynamism, talent together. That's that's my my expectation for us. I knew Walter leaving it with you to wrap things up with an ending would give us a good takeaway there. A good last line. I think you're right. You know, as we talked about earlier, finding that that middle space to bring together these grassroots efforts, the individual, the local with the the broader and the systemic. So with that, we're going to wrap things up. I want to thank everyone um, for joining us here. I want to encourage folks who are out there, particularly if you made it this far, to check out our report and also to reach out to us. You can email me, uh, Dr. Gabriel Velez at gabriel.velez, that's V as in Victor, E-L-E-Z, at marquette.edu. Um, and we'll also make sure to have some links that go along with this for you to check out other resources or to be in touch. As always, we're very open. We want to be meeting people. We want to be hearing what we're doing wrong, what we should be doing, and approaches work very humbly. So thank you, Walter. Thank you, Alberto, for joining us. Alberto, you can go get some good coffee now, hopefully. And we hope you all out there have a good rest of your days. Thank you for listening to this episode of Puerto Conversations. You can learn more about this podcast and the work being done with our partners by visiting the Center for Urban Research, Teaching, and Outreach website at marquette.edu. You can reach the podcast via email at urbancenter at marquette.edu. Music for this episode is by Ronald E. Johnson, whose music can be found at Choco Geek Ensemble.